Started at Imagining Forces in 2004. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I started 2004 and I was freelancing for a tiny bit. And then I uh, was staff there. Um, a, a friend of mine moved out to California. We, I, I went to Ringling School of Art. Mm. Um and I moved out here with a friend of mine who also worked at IF. You, you might know Brian Ma. I know his name. Yeah. Um, it, we moved out here together, and uh, or actually, he moved first, and I kind of followed him out here. And uh, he started working for Imaginary Forces. He at the time he wanted to work for two companies. It mm. was either Imaginary Forces or U and Co. Right. Um, at, at the time they were pretty much the only companies that did title sequences. Yeah. You know, and, and there and was like prologue, Nexus. Yeah. 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 Well, well, Prologue wasn't around yet. Oh, okay. So this is, uh, when was this then? This was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. This, this is pre-Prologue. This was, uh, Vagary Forces, uh, Hugh and Co. You know, and there were a few other companies at the time. Right. But it was pretty, it was pretty um, open. Uh, you know, the field wasn't quite as dense as as it is yeah. now. Yeah, that's because of all the money in title sequences, as you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> Everybody wants a piece of that. Yeah. So, so that was. I mean, I'm doing. Yeah. What's that? No, no, no. Go ahead. You're doing. I was just going to say, I'm doing a title sequence right now where it's just me and one other artist. Yeah. Um, and the budget is tight, but it's cool. And, yeah. and so we're yeah, just yeah. kind of doing it together. I just I just finished one the same same way. I mean, it's a it's a high profile title sequence and people will be surprised that it's just me and one, one other dude and the producer. But I guess is that the business now is kind of well I, I don't think it's the business because i know some studios deploy large teams but do you want to you want to get into that a little bit what's it been for you what's it been like for you the last couple of years working in it's, title sequences it's been smaller teams mm -hmm. um definitely uh you know for the last few that i did for Hello Tomorrow was a few people working on it. Um, you know, and I'm involved. I, I do lighting and texturing too. And I enjoy oh, you do? it. You're hands on? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. Um, and like Candy was a few people. Right. Um, the foundation title sequence did have a larger team to it, but in yeah, the end. Too. Yeah. Yeah, in the end, it was, you know, lar larger team, meaning three or four people. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but, you know, title sequences are are kind of, I feel like they're they're evolving now. You know, obviously, AI is going to gonna change the kind of the way things are created. Mm. Um, but um, I, I do believe that... Uh, the simpler ideas 
are the ones that kind of stand out. Yeah. And those generally don't need really large budgets. Yeah. Yeah. Are you are you in the camp of people who who think that when you don't have a good idea, you need to hide that with a lot of uh, a lot of bang and a lot of bells and whistles. And when you do have a great idea, you don't really need that. And you you, you probably need a small team to, to to keep that great idea alive throughout the whole thing. Are you in that camp? Because I've heard that. I, I would agree with that. Mm. Um, I definitely feel like if an idea has legs, um, it doesn't need to be very complicated. And, um, you know, you could let that idea live on it uh, w without uh, overcooking it. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it's interesting because we're, we're in a time, there, there's so much stuff out there. Um, like in terms of title sequences, there's just so much to see. Yeah. That to me, the one most, the most important characteristic of a title sequence is being distinctive. Um, obviously, an idea needs to be at the center of that. But but if you could create something that just doesn't look like what someone else did, that's uh, that's pretty impressive. That's very hard to do, right? That's that's kind of the holy grail of doing title sequences or doing something that stands on its own, not just the idea, but the execution. If you get if you can get those two things working together, you know, different original idea and uh, a different execution, and then you're onto something really special. But I guess that, like you said, the, uh, there's a lot of competition now. There's a lot of studios out there. There's a lot of designers wanting to do title sequences, and there's also a lot of content. There's also a lot of um, platforms and, and a lot of shows, and those need title sequences. And it feels like um, on the one hand, it's never been as good because uh, you get a lot of chances to get to that thing. But on the other hand, uh, maybe you're a little more spread out and maybe it's, it's harder to, to break through because, you know, there's so much going on. Uh, do you feel like yeah. it's uh, these are better days or uh, how do you feel about because you've been doing this for a while? How do you feel things are now? Look, because I've seen some of your LinkedIn posts to kind of bring bring it to that. Because I think I've seen some of your I've read some of your LinkedIn posts where you go into some depth about talking about the importance of ideas, and you also discuss mm -hmm. AI and a lot of different topics. And I, I think you you got a lot of a lot of things to talk about in you. So, what do you think? <laughs> what's the uh, what's the current status of of the industry? Uh I, I do get in trouble periodically for, for <laughs> having an opinion. Do you? <laughs> I do. Um, because, you know, you kind of hit on it. I do think idea is, is the big, uh, that, that's the big part of creating something that's good. Um, you, could, you could make all the beautiful renders you want and uh, it kind of lives and dies based on whether or not it feels like it's smart and clever and gives you something more. Right. Um, so, you know, we're kind of in a space now where 
I do feel like a lot of a lot of people get distracted by an image, um, but that lasts for. It, it's kind of like, uh, um, you know, fast food in a way. You kind of get distracted, but it's not healthy in a way. Mm. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't kind of fill you up, fill your needs. Mm. Um, and so there's just. I feel like there's granted there's a lot of beautiful stuff and a, a lot of things that are stunning to look at. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think people are, are really looking for something that uh, brings value and opens, opens their mind up. Cause um, it's a, it's, it's much easier now to, to, sorry to interrupt there, but um, it's much easier now to, um, to use programs, 3D software, stuff like that, um, to uh, to make these great visuals, it used to be much harder, and that's a great thing. But uh, that also means that um, uh, if you have a hammer, everything is a nail. So you're going to use that that skill, that acquired skill, to do everything, and maybe that's not the best way to do it. And clients became, I think, accustomed to that as well. Even though clients can see through the bullshit and kind of, they're able to tell, well, this is cool, but it doesn't really have an idea. Um, I think most clients can see through that, but there, there's some where they want to, they want their thing to look like the other thing. They're not, you know, they, mm -hmm. they just want to be in that league of the true detectives and all the references we've seen over and over and over. They just want their show to look like that show. And if that main title can help them be in that league, then they're all for it. So there's there's like you know there's two two different things there, but um, I think the the democratization of of the software um, again it helps us out for sure. And I think, but on the other hand, it doesn't. Um, and I, do you think that AI because that's a that's like a new software almost? It's another tool that's gonna come in or is already coming in do you think that's going to hinder the process or is it going to help the process i know this going to it's going to do both I, I i realize that yeah but do you think what's the uh, the heaviest weight there it, it's a it's a big big subject matter yeah. um i think there's a lot of benefits uh that, that are coming from it um I think it is going to devalue the, the craft and, and the, the creation part of design. Um, you know, there, there's something um, that is really, I, I, I think that used to be very um, valuable, I guess, in, in terms of what I would offer uh, is kind of storytelling and, and my point of view. Um, and I feel like, a lot of the images coming out of AI just look amazing, but uh, they might give the impression that there's a real point of view behind it. But, you know, it's kind of a, a mixture of things that are already created. Mm. And so, um, you, you know, it, it, it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, it, it's hard to feel AI as being something that's inventive 
when the basis behind it is about recirculating old ideas yeah. uh, and combining them. So how, how do you how do you get innovative by 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 that process? I I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm still kind of grappling with that idea of a system that can kind of take things and and uh, you know keep the put things together in a way that feels like it's it's doing these hybrid ideas um you know people say that it's the idea that's important but i also feel like there's a certain level of craft and execution that yeah. also comes from a, a process that isn't about a machine doing it but do you think that um um you know ai can i don't i don't know if it can do it right now but probably going to be able to do it soon where you can just have these sci really elaborate sci-fi shots done in a matter of minutes with the help of ai or by generated by ai alone and if if everybody can do that then if there's this production value at hand so easily does that mean that um it devalues that and everybody's going to be used to that because it's so easy then you're going to be looking the other way and trying to find, well, okay, so if I can do everything, then it's going to be about the idea finally. Because if, if I write my idea on paper and then I go to execution and I can do everything, then the idea becomes the thing that's going to cut through. Or is it the other way around where if I can do everything, if I can do high end with just a push of a button, then that's going to be the thing that everybody's going to be doing. And it's going to pollute the, uh, the industry. And we're going to go through this phase. It's going to take a long time to get out of. What do you think? I mean, that's that's the possibility. Yeah. I, that's the I, question, I right? have a tendency. Yeah, I mean, I have a tendency to think that if you provide all the answers for someone in creating something, it, it doesn't allow people to stretch their imagination and to stretch their abilities. Right. Um, but, you know, the way things happen, maybe people are going to have different ways of expressing themselves and, and, and being creative. But, um, you know, all the creative people I know who, who are incredibly creative uh, or who I consider incredibly creative, come from a place of struggle um hard work mm -hmm. um they they had challenges in their lives that influenced their creativity um obstacles in life uh, kind of caused them to be artists that's um, that's I the, certainly yeah that that's the uh, the comment i've been seeing of ai didn't have a, a childhood trauma right yeah exactly yeah, yeah. So like I know with my my daughter, you know, if, if I removed every obstacle in front of her, you know, she'd never have a chance to to experience um, right. you know, struggle or or you know, things that could kind of cause her to be someone very resourceful. Right. Yeah. Um, I, would agree, I would agree with that. So like you, you know, we yeah. we came from a I feel like we kind of 
grew up in the industry in the same time. Mm -hmm. um, there was a sense that, uh, you know, it, it, there was a rat race year, years ago where everyone was working so hard and you just you wanted to get your ideas chosen and made. And there was a competitive atmosphere that really was was a kind of great moment of creation in, in motion graphics. Um, I don't know if motion graphics is having that same type of uh, uh, thing right now. Um, I think there's a lot of media out there, but I don't see a lot of uh, um, things that really grab me these days. And maybe I'm just so used to to seeing stuff that I'm unaffected. And, uh, but uh, um, I don't know. There was there was a a moment in time that felt like it was extremely innovative. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and if you've listened to me on podcast or other places, I usually talk about my love for live action and there used to be a lot of live action main titles um, years ago and you know i realized that budgets aren't the same and those are costly and things that and clients want to be much more controlling than they used to be you used to talk directly with the director and now you have to talk with the marketing team and producers and there's a lot of stages of decision making so things are different than they were but and I realized that by experience, but uh, I'm you know I'm still of the opinion that there was something about photography and live action that it's almost like Christopher Nolan talks about his films, right? Where there's a realness, there's a tactility, there's a texture, there's a feeling that comes with with cutting together shots that are real, um, that are shot on camera, uh, and and those have gone away. And I, I guess that the, uh, I guess I, I don't see, I agree with you where I, I don't see um, that in the work that's coming out in the last few years. Um, there's other things uh, I've seen great, I'm still seeing great titles, but I don't know if it's like you said, I don't know if it's uh, the fact that I've been working in a business for so long or I'm so hyper aware of everything or the fact that I'm, just getting uh, older and I and, and in, inherently with the ages you start feeling that things were better uh, uh, years ago <laughs> I don't know if that's well, if that's the case but you know do you do you uh do you miss uh you know do you miss a lot live action or do you were you all ever a live action guy or do you feel like there's a place for everything in in motion design and title sequence specifically? Yeah, you know, I did shoot a bunch of live action um, years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, I always considered myself a, a graphic designer. Right. And um, so communication was always the, the kind of main idea behind what I did. Um, and I never, it, it, live action never grabbed, I never had the live action bug. Mm. Uh, you know, I have, I have friends that shoot and they just love, uh, capturing uh, people and emotion and and that sentiment uh, through live action and um, it, it it never really um, 
what was something that I was completely drawn to. And I, I love it and I think it's beautiful, but um, I'm more about communication pieces um, and using using whatever whatever choice is the best um, you know uh, visual to to communicate. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, so you're you're coming from coming from a, a I guess a more um, overhead view of what's the uh, what's what's the, the communication need for this project and what am I going to use to answer that and you can use whatever. Whereas Definitely. I'm I'm probably I'm probably more of I always see things through a lens almost. It's almost like I'm seeing everything in a cinematic way. And that's just that's just the way I see the world, and those are two valid ways of seeing of seeing the world. Obviously, um, okay, let's go back a little like bit. Like some, someone was, yeah. I, I, sorry, I was just gonna tell you. Um, someone asked me uh, the other day about my favorite title sequence, and mm -hmm. I was um, thinking about it. And at the time, I had there's so many title sequences in my head. I, I feel like I, I I didn't even have a favorite, but um, there was one title sequence that Prologue did years ago. Um, Prologue, or Imag it might have been Imaginary Forces at the time, um, but uh, it was for Wimbledon. Uh, Wimbledon, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the ball. Do, uh, do you remember? It, <laughs> I it, do. It basically, just the type. I show it on my master. Whenever I'm doing a master class, I always show that one. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, to me, that was so smart and simple and um uh, like I, I i don't i don't know an idea like that to be um even in now and in, in the current landscape of ideas um yeah. still would really stand out that's right yeah because it, it fits like a glove right that main title fits with the film just the way it is it's so simple but so smart yeah, if, you, if you're listening and yeah. you, you don't know what we're talking about, just look for Wimbledon film main title. That's It's for a film, it's not a show. It's really good. Um, that's actually one of the questions I had here was, what's your what's your favorite main title? But from your own work, which, which one is, and that could be because of the process of doing it, maybe it's just the end result, but uh, when, I, when I'm asking you this question, which is the first one that comes to mind? Your favorite title sequence you've ever done at with your, your own work? Um, I I would probably say Candy. Yeah, nice. That's my favorite of yours. Yeah, it's nice. really good. Yeah, it it was you know we were able to do something that allowed the the credits to have a point of view in the storytelling um and not a lot of title sequences um let the credits um act as a as a device and a storytelling thread yeah um so it was it was cool to be able to uh do something that you know felt a little different you know there were some things that you know we we've all seen before but um using the cast uh in there in a very interactive way and as part of the idea of, of the title sequence, yeah. I thought was a lot of fun. Um, you know, brought me back to my graphic design days. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. 
it was an idea that if it felt, uh, you know, rooted in something that was, was um, conceptual to the show, but it, you know, was different from the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, that was a simple idea that had, you know, a few artists animating on it. Um, yeah. But it, 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 it stood out because it wasn't, it wasn't 3d and it wasn't, um, it wasn't, uh, you know, kind of brooding. It, it had a snark, a snark to it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing that main title when it came out, but I remember seeing that in the, uh, when you're voting in the Emmys and you're seeing all the, uh, the entries. And as you know, there's a lot of stuff that looks the same. And then that one popped up and I was like, yeah, this one. And congratulations on that nomination. Um, oh, thanks. Because yeah, that stood out for sure. Um, I, I've heard you say that when you're presenting to clients, you don't like presenting a lot of different options. You only present stuff that you truly believe in. You're, you're not mm-hmm. one of those people that one of those creative directors that will throw in stuff that just maybe they'll like this because it's you know and cover all the. Uh, options in the spectrum um can you talk a little bit about that why do you do that um i think most people have about three to four good ideas in them for a title sequence or for for really any type of branding job um it just to me it doesn't make sense to present more than what you'd want to do because like if you get the job around an idea that you didn't like or you didn't love you have, you have to spend however long making it. And then once you see it, you're, you're apologizing for it once it's done. And so you, you, you spend the rest of your existence (laughs) unhappy with it and justifying it. Yeah. And so my theory is like, go in with three to four things that you love. And if you don't, if you don't get the job, then you don't get the job. But, um, I, I I don't know re- regret and uh, a sense like I've lost many jobs. <laughs> if, <laughs> yeah. You know when when you're pitching stuff you lose. No no yeah. one wins everything. Yeah. yeah. Um. But the the worst things that I remember is if I pitch something that I wasn't excited about making, and then I had to do it. make it and live yeah. with it, and then explain people what the process was with a little bit of hesitation in my voice about it. And um, maybe I'm, I'm older now and I feel like I want to really truly believe in everything I do. Yeah. Um, and I, I generally do like right now, uh, even now I'm working on a pitch and um, it's, it's a smaller deck, but it, it has ideas that I love in it. I know the feeling, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, people respond in the room to things you love. Um, if, if, if I'm presenting something that I feel isn't, um, isn't something that is great, in my opinion, mm-hmm. being able to sell it just doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I've just, it, and you know, this might not be advice for everyone, but um, 
I do feel like people pick up what you love and and how you how you really feel about it and what you could bring to it. Um, and every time I've tried to to pretend about loving something that might not be amazing, yeah. I I just don't. It doesn't fit me. Yeah, and it it doesn't work every time. But the idea is to to keep trying to you know only sell stuff that you really believe in. Sometimes clients will mash up ideas together, and sometimes that doesn't work. But the idea is to strive for right. That's I guess that's what you're saying is every time you're pitching, you should strive for uh, the best option. And you just mentioned yeah. that the client f- feels that in the room. I'm guessing you're not presenting in a room physically anymore. Most of the time presenting over Zoom calls. Do you think that energy translates? And and do you think, and this is something I particularly want to know from you is, do you feel like having high energy in your presentation style goes a long way of selling ideas? Or do you feel like, because I've seen, you know, I've worked with a lot of different creative directors and they obviously have different styles and different energy levels. And how do you feel about that, especially with nowadays with Zoom calls? Okay. So I feel like if you have high energy, it's helpful. Right. And it it does kind of help the conversation a lot. Um, if it's a bad idea with high energy, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, uh, if it's a great idea with low energy, that works too. That you'll, you, I mean, that's good. You, you, you could get the job. Um, I think high energy uh, has to be paired with the right idea for it to be effective. Um, so, you know, but I always go into a meeting um, with high energy mm-hmm. uh, because I, I'm naturally an introvert. And right. I I have to force myself to be kind of right. uh, gregarious and and I, I'm not particularly um, good at small talk or right. uh, you know just just that kind of conversation at the beginning of a call. Right. Um, but I am good at being passionate about an idea, um, and so I, I think that does translate into people being interested um but you you need to have a good idea with you otherwise it's a little it's a little uh embarrassing like if you're very if you're like overly excited and your ideas aren't very good you come off as being not credible that's that's a good point that's a good so if you're excited yeah yeah if you're excited about a piece of shit, then <laughs> they're going to, yeah, well, this guy's excited yeah. about nothing. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things uh, that I think is also very important is taste. And I do feel like um, you, you get hired, like people hire you because of an idea, but they hire you because of taste. Mm. And they want to feel as though your taste is extremely good and um you know they want to be a part of of working with someone who's who feels like their vision is at a higher level 
even than they are generally. Right. Um, and so, um, and it's, it's not always, you know, I work with some brilliant showrunners who are much higher levels than what I've done. Um, but they want to feel like someone is going to bring something to the table that makes them look really good and elevates their work. Um, yeah. So th a lot of times they'll be, um, they'll be focused on things that might not be um, that obvious in the conversation, but they want to pick up on really good taste. And how do you, um, how do you feel about, um, do you have to fight for, when you're, you're already in the process of, you just got your pitch awarded, your, the project is awarded and you're in the process of doing it and things evolve and change as with anything, do you find that uh, you have to do a lot of fighting for the idea to stay intact or for, or do you, do you feel like uh, now, nowadays, especially with imaginary forces track record and your track record uh, personally, do you feel like there's a lot more confidence in the work that you're doing and there's a more leeway to try things out and, and keep it together? I think if you set the table of the initial conversation of trust and they feel confident that you're going to do something that makes them look good and that feels it good for the show and innovative and that you have it under control, I, I think that sets the table for them letting you do what you want to do. Right. right. Um, and it, again, that's not always the case, but... I've found that the majority of times when I really felt like this is what I want to do, this is, you know, we should do one camera move, you know, for Hello Tomorrow, pitch that one idea of singular camera move going up with all these inventions, you know, it was kind of a, a, t a timeline in, in um, uh, 3D space. And um, it was a very simple idea. And, um, I presented four ideas and uh, this was the last one in the presentation and they ended the, they said, which one do you want to do? Yeah. And I said, that one, that's the one I want to do. And it wasn't, I didn't equivocate yeah. and they were like, okay. Yeah. That's a great so, question. For yeah. To, yeah. <laughs> so like you, you should, go in there or uh knowing knowing how you feel about it and not being um worried about feeling a certain way up, mm. about what you're presenting but uh kind of embracing it and and taking joy in it but that kind of, that comes from experience right oh it does because i was very bad at it years ago right i um uh Yes. When I first started, I, I I was a bad salesman. I was a good designer. I was always a good designer, mm -hmm. but I was a very bad salesman. Um, not that I'm the best communicator now, but I feel like I, I've done enough where I kind of understand, uh, you know, the system that we work in. Right. Um, but um, it took me years to figure out how to how to um, sell ideas and and sell ideas 
in a real way uh, mm -hmm. not as though you're you're kind of convincing someone to buy something that's not you know they don't want but like convincing them that this is going to be great and and you should do it right right um so when you uh on that note so when you started out you were probably you probably started out as a junior designer then a senior designer and the, the usual way i would guess and then you started working with teams and how hard was it to start working with teams and realizing that uh, finding the right people and and just working with and communicating in the right way just managing a group of people that are working on something together for one common goal how was that road for you um wow i i mean i i don't often look back down that road because <laughs> i'd be scared of what what would happen on that road um <laughs> I, you know, when I started out, I was, I was, I was just not good at, I didn't work with people well. I didn't mm. know how to, to, um, to scaffold people in a way that, that brought them together and, and felt like they really wanted to, to create something great. Um, it, it just wasn't part of my, no one taught me that. Um, right. certainly in art school, you don't really learn how to bring a team together and That's how right. to work effectively with people. Yeah. Um, so how did you, um, you watch people and, you know, the people that I looked at were Karen Fong, Brian Ma, right. um, uh, another creative director, Ahmed, uh, mm -hmm. at Imaginary Forces back in the day. Yeah. Um, and you just kind of, luckily, I was at a place where you could look at people and see how they work and how they, they um, interact and enlighten people. And, um, and then you just soak it up. Yeah. Um, and you make, make mistakes along the way. Like I've, I'm sure I've made plenty of mistakes and everyone has personalities that uh, yeah. sometimes don't always gel. Um. But, um, you know, you kind of, you, you look to people who, who figured it out. Um, Karen's really figured it out. Yeah. Um, I'm still figuring it out. Um, yeah. but you know, I, I know you have to let people be good at what they do and let people do it. Um, trust them yeah. and, um, you know, be um, and remind them of their value to the job and what they're bringing to it. Um, and it wasn't like back in the day, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't work um, uh, directly with uh, um, a lot of people back in the day. Um, you know, when, it, when you're freelancing, you kind of, move around so much it's it's hard to have a rapport yeah. because you kind of move around uh but there were a lot of creative directors that didn't really focus on, on kind of giving you kind of um uh, like ideas on how to talk to people how to communicate how to work with people 
because they were just like making stuff and they were just part of the system of of like there were there were 30 people in the room working on stuff and no one was offering you praise or anything it was just kind mm -hmm. of a battle royale <laughs> yeah some places are still run like that i think and that's yeah that's kind of a kind of a mess um so uh, on that note do you think that because nowadays there's not a lot of staff anymore and a lot of people or your staff and you're just working remotely sometimes from another country or another state and nobody's mm -hmm. going to the office anymore and does that affect because you just said that you saw how other people you learn from other people by watching them work and I, you kind of need to be in the same room or in the same building yeah to watch that happen and kind of really soak that in on zoom calls and slack that's kind of tough do you think that's a problem for the next generation coming up? Yeah. Yeah. It's a problem. And seen, no one really wants to. Well, I haven't seen it because I feel like it's going to happen over many, many years. Mm -hmm. And um, so, um, you know, and it's, it's all anecdotal to me. Like, I, I don't have any evidence of a real problem. Uh, but I do feel like there's a certain level of, of, of kind of experience that young people aren't getting from a zoom based environment. Yeah. Um, because I, I don't know how they would get it. Like yeah. you're not going to have a zoom meeting where you're really, um, connecting in a way that allows you to, to, to really, um, open up and, and feel like you're really part of a team. Like you'll, you'll kind of have superficial connections and you'll look at each other and you'll share, share stories, but there's something about physical contact that really, or like be physically in the same room that creates a condition that allows you to have growth between both people. Um, mm -hmm in terms of just like presentation skills, um, demeanor, how to work with people. It's it's hard to translate over looking is, through yeah. two Zoom windows. Yeah, I, I mean, I've it's taken me a long time because I don't know if you know, but I've always worked remotely from Portugal. I've never, never been staff in the US or anything. So it, it's taken me a a long time to kind of learn how that part of the business goes, you know, managing teams or presentation skills or just managing problems, a day-to-day -day routine in a, in a studio and how those relationships between people work. Because when you're, when I started out, you didn't do Zoom calls. There were no Zoom calls. It was all email and sometimes a little bit of chatting on a messenger app, but that was it. And sometimes you get on the phone. And that was really special. So it took me a long time to um, understand because, you know, by examining presentation decks that I would get access to or just watching other people's um, output, you know, frames or, or uh, work in progress um, videos or something like that and just reverse engineering that stuff through the years to kind of get a glimpse of how they came to their decisions in the decision-making process 
of a creative studio, right? So that's why it mm -hmm. took me a long time. By a long time, I mean over 10 years to actually get a feeling of, oh, okay, I kind of know how they do this. And that's when I started doing it too with, with directing teams and opening my own studio and blah, blah, blah. But, and so it's, it's really hard for, for people now to, even if you're, if you're, if you're based in the U S to get access to that, because they're not really in the same room anymore. But that's, and even with clients, right? Even with clients, I guess, I'm guessing yeah. it's, it's, it's also changed where, uh, I know you guys have West Coast and, and, and East Coast and all that, but, and, and, and when I started out 10 years ago, there were um, presentations being made over the phone. That was a thing as well, but mm -hmm. you used to fly around. Speaker code. Exactly. And you, you used With to. Polycom. <laughs> violins and all that stuff. But you also used to, for the final present, as they would say, you, you would fly in and present to mm -hmm. people face to face. That's gone, right? And then how has that changed for clients? And, and you used to have couches and and presentation rooms for presentations in the studio. That's all gone. And how how do you feel about that? Have, have things changed that much? Or well, let me just add because I I work from home and I think it's 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 good great. You know, mm -hmm. um, it's really worked out. I've been able to do some really great projects working from home. Mm -hmm. um, so I just wanted to put that out there because I do feel like there's a certain good quality or there are many good qualities to working from home. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the issue that I have is I feel like for younger people, you get a little shortchanged in, yeah. uh, in, in what they could get out of it. Um, but um, you know, when you, when you talk about conference uh, or like having a phone call for a, for a presentation, I remember I flew down to uh, to, in, to France um uh to uh to present an idea for a rebrand and uh like we went all the way there and we presented a deck the same way we would potentially do it on zoom today right. and uh this was many years ago and uh it was a horrible meeting like they did not like anything we presented oh, wow. and um uh, <laughs> It, like we went all the way there and I, I remember they gave us nothing in the meeting. Um, uh, it, it was, yeah, it was, yeah. and then, then we came back and I, I don't even know if they, they sent us an email saying, you know, thank you, but <laughs> that was it. Um, but yeah. we spent, you know, so much time preparing and then getting ready for the meeting, going there and, uh, yeah, sometimes it definitely didn't help having us in person. Yeah, well, that's that's a terrible, terrible situation for sure. <laughs> Flying in and then having it like that. Um, well, look, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm of the same opinion. Things have changed quite a bit, and I, I, I love that you now you get Slack and you get to talk to people and you get a lot of Zoom calls, too many Zoom calls, but you get a lot of FaceTime with a lot of people. And it's much better than, than it used to be. I feel like I'm much closer to the teams and to the creative directors and and uh, obviously to the projects now than I was when you had one call and a bunch of emails back and forth. So definitely much better now. And on on, on that note, I, I know we got to wrap things up, but on that note, 
Um, two two questions that I think are kind of tied together. Mm -hmm. I've been I've been keeping my eye on AI and the changes in 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 the field as far as the technology side of things and execution side of things. And I've just started to learn Unreal Engine because I'm you know the, the stuff that you can do with that now and the fact that the software is free to use for learning purposes and even more. And that that's kind of a big change for for developing things and you know uh have you guys have been by you guys i mean imaginary forces and you in particular have you guys been keeping eyes your eye on on how things have changed on the technology side i'm sure you have and how do you think uh how do you how do you see the motion design field and particularly title sequences changing in the next few years do you think that's going to be going to change a lot and how do you think things are going to develop i mean i it's it's hard for me to to know where that's gonna go exactly i the the, the conversation that i think is always interesting is when people say that ai is just another tool <laughs> and mm. i feel like there are two camps there are the people that say it's just another tool and then there are the people that say oh it's the end of existence yeah um what have you said and i'm in the middle right because i don't think it's solely another tool that's because right. we've never developed another tool that was designed to replace a person like that wasn't the kind of purpose of a tool before right um uh, but i i do like it's it's i don't think it's going to end our careers in terms of what we produce. Um, so I, I honestly, like, I just don't know where it's going to go. I, I feel like that right now, I don't, maybe I don't love the design sensibility coming out of some AI stuff, um, but that's not because AI generated it. It's, it's purely because I, I, it's recirculating things that I've seen before. Um, so, um, it, it's, it's tough for me because I just, um, I'm always idea driven and, um, you know, you still need that idea, um, first and that doesn't yeah. generally come through AI. Um, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of. I'm curious to see how it's how it's gonna change the industry. I I do feel like my purpose in in the industry, or like at least what I do, is probably gonna end at some point, just because why couldn't they have a machine do conceptual thinking the way I do? Um, mm. I, I I don't see why it couldn't do that eventually. Um, well, so that... I I don't yeah. Well, I think that that circles back to what we were talking earlier about. Sure, AI can do it, but it doesn't have childhood trauma. It's not going to have, you know, that interpretation of things. It doesn't. It's not going to bring that history to it, right? I guess that circles back to that. It doesn't, but based on the information you put into it, it can reference traumas mm, from yeah. many sources. So 
you're not, in my opinion, you're not going to be able to recognize if the machine feels like it has traumatic experiences or if it just has a backlog or, or a database of trauma inputs in there, uh, which make it feel like it's sentient. So you're um, not going to be able to tell if it's a human or a machine. Is that that's what you're saying? I, I just don't know how you're going to tell because the amount of information that it can it can mm. um, analyze and reconfigure and and sort and and uh, multiply is is just beyond what we do, um, you know, ourselves. So, mm. in it's it's gonna it in the future. I feel like it's gonna feel emotionally intelligent and you know when we look at a lot of the stuff that's produced are people going to be able to distinguish between something that was created by a person or an ai i i don't know yeah i think yeah on, on the idea side of things and on on, on that I, I really don't know um and there's there's nothing i can add to that because I'm, I'm really kind of waiting to see what happens with the ideation part of it, the psychology of the machine, let's say. I don't know what's going to come out of that. That's, I think that's the hardest part to, to sell to me is I won't be able to tell if it's a machine or not. But on the technical side, I think, you know, I've, I've just learned to use Cinema 4D recently during the pandemic and very happy about doing that. And while I was learning it, I'm feeling the same thing with Unreal Engine, actually. Uh, I'm doing the thing and I, I sometimes ask myself, is this um, am I is this gonna be the last time I'm gonna be using this thing? It's is it too late to kind of learn the software? Is it gonna be replaced very soon by AI generators and and doing it yourself is not gonna be a thing anymore? So that's kind of the question that's always in my mind is uh, why am I learning this software? Because I want to, because I want to do things on my own, and that's not gonna change because you know I want to learn that stuff to do what I want to do creatively, but on a on a an industry level, <laughs> I'm not sure if learning C4D right now is as valuable as it was years ago. But that's you know that's kind of an open question there, right? So last yeah, question, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Comment, yeah, I, yeah. I, I was just going to add the problem with like if you were to think about all the things that you shouldn't learn because you're worried about what's going to come. I feel like that becomes a cycle that's hard to break because with with young people, I, I'm baffled by the technology coming out, like the changes in technology. And I can imagine how what they're dealing with, because like, what do they learn? Do they learn cinema? Do they are they learning stable diffusion? Right. What, what are the or are they waiting to, for the technology to get better? That's true. Um I feel like because they might be worried to take a leap because everything changes so quickly. Um, and really you just have to do stuff and, and try it. And, and if it becomes extinct, then try something else. Yeah. But uh, yeah. That's true. That's true. All right. Last Last question before the final question that I ask everybody. So, if you is there a project that you love to um, to do? Uh, is there like a title sequence or any other sort of project that you love to make that you haven't done yet? Um, 
Hmm. You know, I would probably want to do something that's a short form um, piece of content, like mm. a series, not not like a, a long uh, series, but a short series. Uh, it's more narrative based uh, than a title sequence. Do you mean you, I would think you want to direct? Is that it? Yeah, just some something that's a great idea that could be, um, um, yeah, a series of spots. Um, right. But I, I don't know what that is yet. Right. I'll let you know. Okay. <laughs> okay, cool. So uh, last question before I let you go. Um, I always ask my guests this. Is there anybody you'd love to come on the podcast and talk to me and have their story and you know listen to them talk about stuff is there anybody you want to recommend um i'm having karen uh, phone soon so don't don't say karen phone okay <laughs> karen would be good i she's she's great uh tosh tosh kodama tosh is also good. yeah okay okay um you spoke to alan right yeah alan's been on the podcast yeah it was great. He's a friend, yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean they're 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 all great and they have just so many stories to tell. Okay. Um my my friend uh Brian Ma. Right. Brian would be cool. I, I don't know Brian at all. Is is he at um what is he doing now these days? Um he has his own company. Alma Matter, right? Um, alma mater right right that's that's the one yeah. um yeah brian you know it's interesting because as a designer uh for me like growing up as a designer growing up meaning after after college mm. um i kind of look to a few people as as people who would help guide me in my career and he was one of those people um yeah nice nice let's get let's get brian then that'd be great to talk to brian yeah he's not going to acknowledge that uh he's not going to want to be a part of anything that i'm a part of but uh he's <laughs> yeah he's he's a really good interesting person okay cool do, do you think he's going to be down for it or is he one of those shy guys that doesn't want to talk <laughs> i don't think he likes uh i don't know you, you have to ask him yeah, maybe ask he'll him. want to talk he, right. he doesn't often do conversations he's he's one of the brightest most um like uh creative people i know mm -hmm. um and he doesn't often like to talk to an audience or perfect. talk in front of an audience yeah that's perfect then for a podcast yeah <laughs> All right. All right, sir. No, I'll, I'll try and reach out to him for sure. Um, All right. Well, thank you for doing this. Uh, lovely to talk to you and learn a little bit more about you and your, the way that you work and your process and all that and your opinions, which I value. And yeah, thanks for doing this, man. No, thank you for reaching out to me because, uh, you know, I always look look up to your work and um, 
Yeah, I definitely I see your name often uh, around, and uh, I was I eager hope. to just talk to you. I hope that's a good thing that you see my name often. <laughs> no, it's very good. <laughs> In a good way. <laughs> Let's work together. We've never worked together. That'd be great. Do something. Together. I know. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. We will. There'll, there'll be something. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll just say, like, I often don't work with designers that much because hmm. I'm a designer, too. And I, I, right. I enjoy it. And it's fun. Like, I don't want to farm out the fun because that's oh, the best you, part to me. Right. Because you're hands on and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I understand that. I understand. Yeah. Like, to me, a director, like, I always find it interesting that directors don't do, or directors for motion graphics and design aren't mm. doing their own design work because to me the problem solving and the interesting part is the design the putting it together part to me is cool but um that's to me mm. that's um not as interesting as solving the problem at first i think i'm i'm the same as you uh, even though i know a lot of excellent creative directors don't design a frame they they write a lot um but and and a lot of them are not even designers uh i'm thinking of eric anderson from dk who was a he wasn't a designer at all he, he'll be the first one to say i'm not a designer i write and i have ideas and i write them down and other people can illustrate those ideas and but yeah I, i'm i'm probably the same as you i need to i need to that's the fun that's the and that's why i'm learning c4d and Unreal and all that shit because I want to keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And when you when you learn Unreal, you have to show it to me because I tried Unreal yeah. and it does not compute for me. I'll send you in like five years or something when I'm okay. done learning the thing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. That's it. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Bye.